This is iUniverse Radio, brought to you by iUniverse, the leading book marketing, editorial services, and supported self-publishing company. iUniverse Radio is your opportunity to hear firsthand from authors about their new books. It's an in-depth discussion about the author's passion about the development of his or her story in their own words. It's an inside look into the characters and the plot and how the story all came together. Here is iUniverse Radio with host Steve Jorgensen. The title of the book, Row Well and Live, a novel of young love, innocence, and espionage during the Cold War. And the author is James Haley, and Jim joins us now on iUniverse Radio. Hello, Jim. Hi, Steve. Well, this is a romantic thriller. It has uh, interesting twists and turns. We go back to 1961, just after the Bay of Pigs, and of course before the tragic uh, assassination in Dallas and the horrors of Vietnam. And it, you know, focuses uh, on these two superpowers that are focused on Cuba at that time. But we have this interesting history student, Jack Norton, and you're going to tell us about his daydreams, and uh, but also, I guess, how he gets caught up in reality with a relationship with a CIA agent, right? Yes. <laughs> well, what created all of this kind of a suspenseful plot? What was the motivation here? Well, it was um, um, during that uh, during that uh, period. Um, I was uh, I was living in Washington. Uh, during that time, <clears throat> excuse me, and um, um, it's uh, I think one of the one of the keys to good writing is to always write about something that you know about, and uh, I know Washington from that era quite well, and uh, uh, the um, uh, <clears throat> thing that that uh, I wanted to do was to sort of go back and re- recapture that era. Uh, for a young man just starting out in life, who's um, who's got his future ahead of him, who's um, he's finished his uh, his uh, basic education, and he's beginning to specialize now, and he's starting off on a new adventure. He's found a uh, a new uh, girl that he's uh, madly in love with, and um, right into the midst of this, um, he um, through a combination of um, mistaken identity and um, his uh, goofy daydreams that he indulges in all the time. He finds himself up to his neck um, between uh, KGB agents and um, the British Secret Service and a lot of other things that he doesn't <laughs> not be involved in. Well, he loves to dream about one of his uh, favorite, I guess, heroes of uh, a super spy, a British spy, Sidney Riley. Yes. Tell us about Sidney. What makes him so important to uh, to Jack? Well, Sidney Sydney Riley was um, a British um, MI6 uh, agent uh, from about um, 1895 to, to the 1920s. And um, he was uh, really the most successful uh, spy the British ever had. They used him on everything from the Russo-Japanese War to um, uh, uh, Russian uh, oil reserves uh, in the the, um, uh, Middle East and uh, right up and through 
the Russian Revolution, and he uh, founded his own spy network uh, at that time, and came within an ace of bringing down uh, Stalin's, uh, excuse me, uh, Lenin and Trotsky's government. Um, he, um, uh, it, it didn't come off, but it uh, almost did. And uh, um, after after that, he came to America and stayed uh, four or five years. He set up another network here. And um, eventually, um, he was, um, was uh, urged to come back to Russia by some false friends. And um, he had been tried in abstention there uh, by the Bolsheviks in 1918 and, um, and sentenced to death. And um, when he came back, they grabbed him, and um, he was executed by Stalin. Uh, he was a very, very colorful character. He, he serves as uh, really as... Um, the model for Ian Fleming's uh, James Bond. Um, the, the two of them um, were, were, were really quite a lot alike. Riley was uh, had three or four marriages uh, at the same time and uh, uh, was uh, constantly uh, getting in and out of fantastic scrapes and doing um, extraordinary things. And uh, he was just an unbelievably character, colorful character that uh, Jack, um, who is this... Uh, uh, history student, um, and um, uh, as always, uh, loved um, 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 the politics and spying and, and all the rest of it. Is uh, has been much taken with for years, and he's almost an alter ego with Jack. Um, he he um, when he has nothing else to do, he 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 conjures up visions of Riley, who comes on the scene. And the interesting thing is, in in Real Well and Live. Uh, he gets into a real pickle with real people who want to kill him, and he conjures up this fantasy figure, but somewhere along the line, the fantasy figure takes on concrete form, and uh, this Sidney Riley, who's been dead 20 years before Jack was born, uh, uh, seems to to, uh, to exist there, and he's is sort of a god, a, a, a guardian angel um, uh, watching over him, um, and uh, it gets um, more and more complex as as, uh, as they move on through this. So he ends up uh, for the summer in Washington, uh, driving cab and and takes a room in a place that uh, has, as you put it, dangerous secrets. Yes, yes. Um, the <clears throat> one of the dangerous secrets is that. Um, his, uh, his neighbor down the hall is a young man about his age who's a CIA agent, but he's also a mole in the CIA. He's working for Soviet intelligence. And he has been uh, using Jack's room uh, as, a, as a message drop uh, for some time before Jack was there. And um, these um, bumbling KGB agents um, mistake the two and, and mistake Jack for for the for the uh for the CIA agent and um um he uh, has absolutely no idea what is going on he's uh, he's uh, pursuing this uh, this girl Darcy, Darcy Harris as <clears throat> ardently as he can and um constantly being harassed and harangued by by these Russians and um he simply doesn't know uh, it takes him a long time to understand what's actually going on and, and um uh, uh, that he is uh, being mistaken and um, 
uh, is in real uh, peril of his life. And so Darcy is a CIA agent. No, 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 no. Darcy is his girlfriend. I'm sorry. Oh, okay. All right. The CIA, is the there, 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 is, there is a CIA agent, uh, agent, a female living there? No. There's a, the, uh, the person who, who shows up there occasionally is a, a Russian agent. And she's, uh, she gets, uh, she uh, opens this uh, message drop. Um, and and uh, Jack first um, <clears throat> sees her or didn't see her. He first is aware of, of her when he goes into the rooming house and he sees this, these puddles on the floor of, of footprints that are female footprints, not not male. And um, uh, he um, he thinks that that um, the CIA agent, whose name is Art Baldwin, who lives down the hall, is simply having an affair, a clandestine affair with a woman, and. Uh, it, it turns out that this woman is, is not having an affair with her at all. She's a, a, a Russian agent who's picking up material that he's leaving uh, in Jack's room. So, as I said right from the start, a lot of twists and turns. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Who would you say, uh, so, so Jack is really, because of his fantasies, he's uh, kind of caught in the middle. He's absolutely caught in the middle, yeah. It's a, a, a rather a, a Hitchcockian theme. Um, he's walked right into this thing. He's absolutely uh, uh, over his head, has no idea how to deal with these very serious people. Uh, can't imagine that anyone would actually uh, try to hurt him or anybody else. And um, it's like um, almost like a drunk wandering through a, a minefield, uh, oblivious to what might go off around him. So there's a lot of humor involved as well. There is. It's um, it's it's done on in a very light note. Uh, there's a lot of uh, comedy. Um, um, uh, I hope it's uh, sophisticated. Uh, some of it, but uh, it's an amusing. It's a very amusing book. Uh, people have, uh, have said that it's. Um, um, they have great fun. Great fun reading it. It's not deadly serious in the way that uh, John Le Carre's books are that deal with uh, human morality and, and so forth. This, this is for pleasure. And the themes as you write, uh, loyalty, betrayal, deception, love, sex, high humor, all are here. Yes. Well, as we, as we look at this stumbling, bumbling Jack, as you describe him at the same time, there's a, a, a real battle of, of opposing forces going on. Oh yes, the Bay of Pigs has just occurred, and uh, the Cubans have been emboldened to try to sneak missiles into um, Cuba. They haven't done it yet, but they're 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 feeling out uh, the responses that the Kennedy administration might um, come forth with, and uh, they very much need up to date intelligence on what will happen if they make move a. The American administration would counter with B and so forth. And um, um, the um, Art Baldwin, the CIA man, uh, as I say, is a, is a mole, has been leaving them uh, microfilm in, um, um, in Jack's room. And uh, eventually, uh, uh, after a number of uh, very, very serious encounters with the, the KGB people, uh, who confused the two, the two men? Um, Jack understands what is finally what is going on, 
And then he wants to do nothing but just escape from it, and he finds he can't escape from it. It's not that easy. And in this uh, in this instance, uh, Sidney Riley is uh, called forth and uh, manages to to even the odds. <laughs> so, so the supernatural takes over. Well, it seems to. It's not really the supernatural, but it. Uh, it there's there's another uh, a, a real life person, a human, uh, who um, uh, becomes becomes like the Riley character, and it's it's done in a not quite supernatural way, but it's uh, it's very interesting. And his girlfriend Darcy, she gets uh, drawn into this as well. Oh yes, absolutely. The two of them are. Our babes in the woods, yes. and and who is the master of intrigue, the master of deception, the uh, you know the villain in this? If there is, there really is no villain. There there are sinister forces. It's a light-hearted um, romantic comedy played against very serious real-world forces that are deadly dangerous. The uh, there is no no real villain. Um, except um, the the KGB people, whom you never really meet, are are perfectly capable of of killing Jack or anybody else who gets in their way. And does his demise? Does it get like within a whisker of his demise? <laughs> oh yes, yes. <laughs> Without giving too much away, it certainly does. Yeah, right, right. Well, it sounds kind of like a a. Uh, 21st century treatment of some uh, character that would have been in one of the Pink Panther movies? Um, not, not quite. Not, not quite, quite. It, okay. It, he's, not, he's not the bumbling incompetent that Clouseau is. <laughs> okay. um, he's, um, he's a very intelligent guy. He's just innocent. He ah. just, uh, it's, it, it, it's, it's very much like uh, what might have happened if you or I, when we were 21 years old, had found ourselves in a situation like that. Yeah, what would we know? And uh, especially, he becomes super dangerous because of of what he knows about his great uh, hero, yeah. right? And he, yeah. you know, does he try to uh, uh, copy? And what you know, what would O'Reilly do? Uh, no, it doesn't. It doesn't work out like that. He's um, he's sort of. Um, <clears throat> Constantly surprised if he, he gets in a tight spot, and uh, suddenly uh, uh, Riley intervenes in a way that uh, that he had no idea about, and uh, saves the day, so to speak. <laughs> um, well, it's always important when you don't know what you're doing to have someone come along and save your day. That's right. <laughs> very good, very good. Well, sounds fascinating. It does sound like it'd be a great movie. I think it would. Yeah. I think it would. Well, the title of the book is Row Well and Live. Where does that come from? Well, that's um, Jack is a um, history student, and um, he, he likes uh, books uh, about ancient history as well. And um, uh, he read the book um, uh, Ben-Hur, and he recalled um, that, um, uh, well, first of all, when he, when he goes to the taxi cab company, um, they give them a, 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 a the chauffeur's license is is uh, <clears throat> put in a little plastic packet and they have to wear it all the time, and uh, they're, they're assigned a call number, and his call number is uh, forty one, 
Um, no one ever calls him Jack or Norton or anything. He's just 41. And he recalls that in the book Ben-Hur, uh, when Ben-Hur was a galley slave, um, the, the, his, uh, his number was 41. And the Roman general says to him, um, we keep you alive to serve this ship, 41. Roll well and live. And that hates this cab driving job. It's, a, it's, it's like being a galley slave, as far as he's concerned. <laughs> <laughs> so that's, that's where that's the title. title. The significance of the title, it's Row Well and Live, a novel of young love, innocence, and espionage during the Cold War. The author is James Haley. Jim, tell us how to get your book. Well, you can get it through our universe, uh, Barnes and Noble, uh, online, uh, Amazon, uh, Borders. Um, um, you can get it through most any bookstore. Uh, most any bookstore will order it for you if they don't carry it. Well, thank you, Jim. Thanks for being with us on iUniverse Radio. Thank you very much. Uh, I appreciate it, Steve. You're listening to iUniverse Radio. We'll be back right after these messages. Ready for the most current feel-good gossip? Then check out Daytime with Donna with your host, Donna Intracastle, and sidekick Nina Fry. Every Friday afternoon at 2, 1 Central on toginet.com. Donna is a charismatic, market-driven entrepreneur who was part of the team that founded iVillage.com, which is the largest content-driven community for women today. Donna and Nina are here to empower you, motivate you, and encourage you in all aspects of your life. It's like Oprah on the radio. Plus, your chance to win great prizes, all the way up to a $500 Visa gift card. For more on Donna Intracasso, check out her website, introinc.com. Then join us for the show, Daytime with Donna, with your host, Donna Intracasso, and sidekick Nina Fry. Friday afternoons at 2, 1 central on toginet.com. Evermore, people have the means to live, but no meaning to live for. These are the words of Dr. Viktor Frankl, the inspiration for the movie Victor and I. That's V-I-K-T-O-R and I, movie.com. And TalkSense Radio, The Meaning Connection, with host Mary Similuka and frequent contributor Alexander Vesley. Friday afternoons at 3, 2 central on toginet.com. More and more people today are discarding their quest for money, possessions, and things, and are instead beginning a serious quest to find meaning in life. Until now, these discussions were historically in the hands of priests, ministers, and scribes, then to philosophers, psychiatrists, and psychologists. Now, these deep discussions are where they should be, in the hands of individuals, on the air, with you. Talk Sense Radio, The Meaning Connection, with your host, Mary Similuka, and frequent contributor, Alexander Vesley. Friday afternoons at 3, 2 central, on toginet.com. Welcome back to iUniverse Radio with host Steve Jorgensen. The title of the book, Deadly Pleasures, and the author is Mary Furman, and Mary joins us now on iUniverse Radio. Hello, Mary. Hi, Steve. How are you? I'm going to read a couple things that you've written about your book, Deadly Pleasures, so everyone understands the plot in general, and then we'll get into the details of the characters. This is quite a thriller. Correct. They um, 
are very fed up with the men in their life, and they decide to hire a boy toy. A hunky stripper, as you call him, Michael Harrington. Correct. Hunky stripper is right. If you look at the cover of the book, you can see the picture of the hunky stripper. It's the story of Megan Riley and her three best friends who are having trouble with their cheating significant others. So they go down a whole new different road. Don't, this is something that is usually written about men, not women. That's right. And I actually, <clears throat> excuse me, I actually heard about a group of men that did this. And originally I was going to write that murder mystery and have the four four suspects be the four men. But I thought one day, my why don't I do it with the women? I mean, it would be more interesting. It would be more forbidden. It would be uh, something less likely to happen. And I've had such wonderful response from women that I know now that it was the right decision to do. Now, would you call Megan Riley and her friends, are these kind of wild and crazy women, or are they more average? No, they're more average. Um, Megan sells real estate. She um, has some friends. They all belong to the Yacht Club. Megan joined the Yacht Club so she could get clients with a lot of money, and she made friends with these three girls. And they're just all laying around having conversation when they hear about one of the members of the club who died in bed with a prostitute. He had a heart attack. So they begin talking about this, and they decide the men are having all the fun. Maybe we should do it. Well, this fun, though, turns into a very dangerous situation because there's a series of gruesome killings in the area called by the press the bondage murders. That's right. And several young prostitutes are murdered, and we come up with a name for the murderer by the press as the bondage murderer because he ties the girls to the bed and has a terrible way of killing these young women. Now, Megan, she, for some reason, she becomes kind of a uh, a detective in her own right. Right. She's worried about her friends, so she follows this one girl, her friend Rachel, one night and ends up at a private sex club. Her friend is there looking for her husband, and um, Megan decides to go a couple of days later and get into this sex club. She didn't know at the time it was a sex club. And so that's kind of a, a funny scene when she gets up there and meets the people and, and looks at what's going on. She can't believe her eyes. So that's a good, funny scene, especially when the detective turns up and she has to hide out from him. Matt Donovan. Matt Donovan. That uh, character seems to be the one that everybody likes, men and women alike. They seem to uh, gravitate towards Matt because he's kind of a regular guy. He lost his wife, and he's kind of floundering around and just doing his work. That's about all he does. And So Megan sees him and falls madly in love with him, 
and that is a story that carries on through the uh, the book. So we might suppose that Matt would be some kind of macho guy, but he's not that at all. No, he's not. Uh, Matt is uh, a very sincere, dedicated guy, and uh, he also takes a liking to Megan, but he thinks because she's on this yacht that she's way out of his reach. And so that storyline continues. And what about Matt's uh, partner? Uh, how do you pronounce her first name? Angel. Angel Bentley. <clears throat> yeah, Angel is... Um, Actually, she's a, a character I had in another book, and I just liked her so much. I kept her going in this one, and uh, I have big plans for Angel because I have uh, three book, uh, deadly three deadly books that I plan to write, and she'll become more prominent in the next book. And we'll hear more about Matt in these upcoming books as well. Yes, Matt, Megan, the whole crew, oh, the although whole crew. they are somewhat dispersed, they'll come back in little, you know, snippets. Megan gets herself in big trouble. She does, and she continues to push for answers. You know, you, you keep saying, why don't you just stay home, Megan, you know, but she doesn't. She ends up in Catalina and becomes a very strong par uh, participant in discovering the actual murderer. And then there's always some other twist in your books, and of course nothing is going to be easy for them, and, and now we have a fire on the yacht. Yes, well, that's, that's pretty, <laughs> pretty powerful at the end. And we won't give all the details of the big no, ending. No, we don't want to tell it all. You know, but it has a, a real twist-turning, obviously, uh, effect. And uh, the readers, as you say, you've gotten a lot of positive, lot of positive input. I have. I've been very fortunate. All of the review, reviews came in, uh, five-star reviews. So I'm, I'm really pleased. Um, no one seems to get who the murderer is till almost the end. And uh, that's really uh, exciting to me that people, you know, don't immediately or pretty quickly grasp who did the, who is the killer. Well, the big so. question is, have you ever been to a sex club? No, I've never been to a sex club. My, um, my hairdresser in Beverly Hills, <laughs> The hairdresser he got a divorce, <laughs> and he started uh, hitting the town. And every time I go in to get my hair done, I get new stories. And so I decided to incorporate some of those stories, and uh, and that's what happened. And my husband and I did some uh, research on the bondage equipment. Um, the only real time that we get into the bondage situation is when Matt is investigating or when the murders turn up really violent, then we um, investigate it. But it's not as nasty a book as you might think. 
Well, and Megan's cohorts here are cohorts, uh, cohort T's, <laughs> maybe. Yeah, cohort S's. <laughs> yeah. There's Kathleen. Tell us about her. Right. Now, Kathleen is uh, a very mild, quiet kind of girl, and uh, she's had a horrendous divorce uh, with her ex-husband, Gino, who is a TV TV news uh, figure. And he's already well on the way to having a baby with another woman, and this is absolutely killing Kathleen. And... uh, at one point, she's even tried to commit suicide. So Kathleen is a very complex, sweet uh, person. And uh, Megan is very close to Kathleen. She she really enjoys her. And then there's Alex. <laughs> Alex is kind of, she got very lucky and married a very wealthy man, but her background is quite surprising. That comes out in the book. And she's a diet freak. She just All she does is diet and try to be thick, thin, and uh, she succeeds. <laughs> and then, of course, Rachel. Rachel is uh, a lawyer by profession, but she's given up her uh, her corporate world to be a mother, and her husband is a Hollywood screenwriter, and so he has plenty of opportunity to run around and be a Casanova, and she gets very upset about it. Well, how did you learn to write these kinds of mysteries with twists and emotional turns and, of course, these very interesting plots? Well, I worked for many years. I wrote wrote another book that I never did anything with, and I wrote a screenplay. I just went to a lot of classes. I went to UCLA, and I went to a lot of seminars and Uh, conventions where you get instruction, and I've always been uh, present in a writer's group. My writer's group in L.A. was made up of some wonderful writers, and we would write our 10 or 12 pages and come into the group and read it, and we would all critique, and then we would go on to the next 10 pages. So if anyone that's interested in writing, if you can find your local writer's guild or writer's club, join a critique group and get the help of all the people that are with you in that group. Because, you know, if if six people have the experience, you get six times as much benefit out of it. One of your themes, you say, is women's sexual freedom. Well, women's sexual freedom, I, I, I say that because people want to tell me you have to have some uh, wonderful thing that you're trying to get across in your book. Well, basically my book is to have fun. And uh, the, the mystery is really exciting. The way the girls act is funny and exciting. Uh, Megan does some dumb things, and uh, they all do. So it's really for fun. Um, 
if anything can be learned out for me out of this is it's it's never too late to do what you want to do. So if you have a book in you or a memoir or a story you want to tell, just start. Um, you just put pen to page and eventually it will come. That is basically my lesson. We took a class at UCLA, my friend and I, how to write a bestseller. The teacher of this class was a woman named Marjorie Miller, and she became our mentor. mentor. We joined her writers group in Westwood, and there are several published writers that came out of that group. So we had a wonderful time meeting every week and made great friends of all of us and the classes and the experience from all of us was what wrote that book. The title of the book, Deadly Pleasures, the author is Mary Furman. Mary, tell us how to get your book. Uh, you can buy it on Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, Kindle. Kindle has a special for $3.03 uh, for Kindle version. And um, iUniverse, and it's now in some of the stores. I haven't discovered exactly who, but there, there it is in some of the stores. Thank you, Mary. Thank you so much for being with us on iUniverse Radio. Thank you very much, Steve, for having me. You're listening to iUniverse Radio. We'll be back right after these messages. How to invest, where to invest, where to save, where to get the right insurance, what to do about taxes. Should I relocate my business or ever purchase a property? That's where Go To My Radio Show comes in. Join host Chris Holt Tuesday afternoons at 1 Pacific, 3 Central on GoToMyRadioShow.com. Choose the right financial professional and learn more about the products and services while learning the terminology and strategies used by these professionals. Go to my radio show is unbiased and Chris Holt, your host, will ask the hard questions and take calls to help you connect with the right professional who can help you better handle your financial and business choices. Go to my radio show is not a financial services company and does not offer any financial advice, but we will help you make the right choice when it comes to planning your financial future. And most of all, Choosing the right program and the right professional for you. Go to my radio show with Chris Holt, Tuesday afternoons at 1 Pacific, 3 Central, on GoToMyRadioShow.com. Hey moms, juggle your hats with our mom of many hats, Angie Mazzillo. Friday afternoons at 5 Eastern, 4 Central, on the Mom to Mom Network. Moms are always juggling their hats. And sometimes it's easy for moms to forget their value when life calls for switching from role to role. But the ability to juggle so many hats is priceless. She is never just a mom. She's a decision maker, coordinator, creative genius, counselor, a friend, an authority, and a leader in her household. On Mom of Many Hats Radio, we'll be talking about the hats that you as a mom juggle. We'll acknowledge your importance and support in helping you and all moms to not just defend your value, but to believe in your value. For more on the show and angie check out her website azmamaminihats.com she is a strong woman she is powerful she is wonderful and she is valuable mom of many hats with angie mazillo friday afternoons at five eastern four central on the mom to mom network welcome back to iUniverse radio with host 
Steve Jorgensen. The title of the book, Breaking the Chain of Disease, and the author is Richard DeRose, and Rich joins us now on Author Talk. Hello, Rich. Hello, Steve. Thanks for having me. This is rather sobering, at the same time critical that we understand what's really going on. As you point out, every 20 minutes, the scientific and medical communities discover yet another disease. So we better listen, we better read, we better understand. Let me read a couple things you've written a little bit more about your book. You say this, Since the majority of society has become complacent about the health risks they are faced with, I provide my audience with the most up-to-date, accurate, and effective information, tools, and resources that will help them make a more educated decision before acting sexually irresponsibly, unnecessarily putting themselves or others at risk to disease. The reader will be informed of their consumer rights when accepting or refusing vaccinations. Also, they will learn the use of protective measures and proper hygienic practices that will decrease their chance of infection. Obviously, this very hyperactive young generation, sexually active, is a real big risk, isn't it? You no, know, it is, exactly. And, you know, we hear mixed responses to that when, it, when we look at statistics alone, that uh, some research groups say that the number of cases of STIs, sexually transmitted diseases, or what we've termed it STDs for a number of years, have actually either leveled off or decreased in, sub, in some categories, when in fact just the opposite is true. Uh, these, the young teenagers of today are engaging in sexual behavior at a much younger age, and many times, though, we're not able to identify it. Uh, one, they usually don't get tested until finally they are so sick or infected with this particular ailment that they can't stand any longer and they go to the emergency room or their family doctor. And anytime those test results come back positive, of course, it has to be identified and then therefore reported to the health departments. But we also see that a lot of these diseases have a dormancy state or a latency state where it just won't show up symptomatically. So they don't know they're infected, and they go on with that same behavior, and they start passing it on from one person to another without even realizing it. Well, you sound like a doctor, but officially you're not a medical doctor. That's right. I'm not a, I've never gone to medical school. My mother always wanted me to become a doctor. Uh, I would have only done it if I could have gotten into emergency medicine, what I, which I did briefly um, as a paramedic and search and rescue paramedic, both as a civilian and in the United States military, and that's what really gained my interest in this subject matter. It was knowing that I was in an industry where I was continually being put at risk by having contact with strangers that I don't know. I do not know their status as far as it relates to infectious diseases, but I always treated them universally with the same precautions. I'm just going to assume that no matter who you are and what your skin color is and what you do for a living, your gender, that you're infected or that you're infectious to me. But it just really stirred my curiosity to begin to research and study the field of epidemiology. So I do have a science degree, a bachelor's degree with a major in chemistry, minor in biology, and I'm well-versed and educated in the field of epidemiology, but I am not a medical doctor. 
Well, of course, you talk about sexually transmitted diseases, and that's very emotional, and, you know, it's in the headlines. But you get back to the very root. You talk about the evolution of disease. That's right. Uh, Well, when you look at the history of disease as a whole, and when I say modern medicine a number of times in the book, uh, we've advanced more with, for instance, genetic engineering and in science in the last 50 years than we have in the previous 500 years but it does go back before Christ. And so what I've tried to do is give you an idea of the impact that previous epidemics and pandemics that impacted areas around the globe had on society at that time and kind of compare it to what we've experienced recently in modern epidemiology in the world today and then use that as a precursor to what could occur in the future based on what we realize Uh, and understand as far as diseases and how they're being passed on and how they exist actually in the world. And that's, uh, in fact, one of the chapter's name is living in a microbial world. And again, we're living in a a world where we just don't see or smell or taste these microbes, yet they surround us in every environment. Well, you said two words that really have some scary aspects when you hear the word epidemic or pandemic. are we on the verge of something like that again? I mean, it's been in the history of man. We've, we read about it. Well, you know, it's funny that you asked that, Steve. Uh, the last time that we had a significant uh, impact with a particular microbe was the human plague of the 1918-1919 era. Uh, that was global. It was designated as a pandemic. And there have been a number of estimates of how many people actually succumbed to that particular disease. In this case, it was influenza or the Black Plague. And that was anywhere from between 25 and up to as many as 40 million people worldwide. If you look at population growth, international travel, the lack of medical care and treatment that uh, is offered to uh, people around the world, especially in underdeveloped countries, Uh, We believe that that number not only will double this time if it does occur, but also will have a significant impact on just the medical systems and our ability to take care of those that have become sick and to provide them with the right medicines. It'll just overwhelm our systems uh, tremendously, especially here in North America. uh, We're as, as advanced of a country we are medically speaking and with research and discoveries with new drugs and treatment guidelines and so on, um, we would take just as big of an impact as if you were in Africa. You mentioned that even though with all the research, uh, the scientific community is losing its grip on dealing with this. Right. You know, the, the microbes that surround us, they're extremely intelligent. It's almost as if they have a mind of their own. An example of that would be HIV, for instance, just to name one of many but they're able to very quickly adapt to its new living host. In this case, it's the human being. And in order to do that, uh, they take on a different physical look within the body. I say it's like changing uniforms at halftime during a football game. It's the same person, or in this case, the same microbe. It just looks different to our immune system. And what they're able to do is take on different strains and mutations, And I say with HIV that literally it's different in every single person's body. And because of that, you know, and statistics show it, that one person could have HIV and succumb to the side effects of it and even death, 
within a matter of months of acquiring it, and others can live 20, 25, even 30 years uh, with the disease active in their body. Yet at the same time, even though they're not sick, they're still considered infectious to others. They still have that potential to pass it on from one person to another. So when you look at diseases as a whole, why I say we're going backwards in research, you mentioned it right at the beginning of the interview, we are discovering new diseases constantly every day. Estimates put it as low as, or as high, excuse me, as 20 new diseases every 20 minutes somewhere in the world, something we've never seen before. And maybe it is just a new mutation or strain of an existing microbe, such as a virus or bacteria, or it could be something completely new we've never seen. Now, you make the point, let's get back to this alarming rise of STDs resulting from sexual promiscuity. You say that youth, young people, are becoming more and more stealth. Now, explain that. Uh, what I mean by stealth is that they're covering up their sexuality much better. Uh, they're using techniques that we're not familiar with. You know, I actually joke about it. We're not living in the leave it to beaver era any longer. Uh, these children as young as 10 years old were getting reports of being sexually active. And at that time, they were at a vulnerable age. Uh, they're experimenting. This is new to them. They don't know what makes them happy or feel good yet. There's a lot of just core peer pressure or social pressure out there, which is exacerbated by the media over the Internet, in magazines, and even just at school during conversations with what I call cliques. They're not necessarily gangs. They're just groups of kids that get together. Uh, and in order to be accepted, they have to engage in certain sexual behavior. And we have seen, I guess, one of the most extreme cases of that with um, gang-related activities where they talk about sexual promiscuity. They must actually put themselves, meaning their own life, at risk by going out and actually engaging in unprotected sex with rival gang members' boyfriends that are known to have been a carrier of HIV, have actually tested positive, and it must be witnessed by other gang members. If that person were to test negative, she or he is accepted into the gang. But we all know, that again, that there's an incubation or window period. So they're testing way too soon. It could be a false negative. And now, without realizing it, they're passing it on to their own partner and others in the future, which increases it. But what I mean by stealth is that they're utilizing even just the way they dress, their, their type of hairstyles, their makeup, their lip gloss, which I describe in great detail in one of the chapters, what is your child doing behind the racquetball wall? And it hopefully it will give the parents uh, or caretakers of these individuals a better idea of what they are possibly engaging in or are willing to do, sexually speaking, based on just their dress codes. And it's, it's very startling. And what I'm also seeing right now is that the, we're doing kind of a national flip-flop effect uh, when you're sexting on your telephones and the cell phones, we're seeing that the terminology has kind of changed in the way in which the East Coast is now using the West Coast terms, West Coast using the East Coast, because the parents are starting to become more and more aware of, you know, exactly what does that language mean in these terms and these acronyms. And so in order, again, to keep it stealth, they're changing that. So there's many ways in which they can hide their behavior and you wouldn't even know it. And just having that, quote, unquote, birds and the bees, conversation with your child may not get you the information that you're looking for. 
And so, again, education is, is critical. You can't start that unless you know exactly what your child has engaged in or what they're willing to do. So your book, Breaking the Chain of Disease, is to help us uh, have a more effective approach to protect ourselves. Exactly. It will be life-changing. Uh, there are daily routines and habits that we get into that put, put ourselves at risk every single day. Now, sometimes people come up to me and say, Rich, you know so much about infectious diseases. I mean, aren't you afraid to leave your own home? I mean, aren't you a germaphobe? And I say, no, if you understand fully exactly how all diseases are passed on from one host to another, that's what I call the chain of transmission. There are just key elements, those links that allow for any type of microbe, any disease, whether it be a virus or bacteria, a parasite to go from one living host or environment to another, uh, then you have a better understanding of how to protect yourself. And unfortunately, though, there are a lot of environments that pose a great risk to us, some more than others, which I describe uh, in the book in great detail. So it's a matter of changing your behavior, how you look at things, people that you interact with on a daily basis. Um, some people, for instance, don't utilize or take advantage of protective measures that are available to them all the time. Um, what I mean by that is there are disinfectants or decontaminants you can use that are safe to the skin, that have uh, no side effects to them, are very effective, usually kill these microbes within seconds. Um, we get into vaccinations, uh, how they work and how they fail and the side effects. And then what I'm trying to do is give the reader not just more information on how to protect themselves and avoid these types of exposures, but understand there's also cons to it as well. So you make the decision. I don't do it for you. I just weigh both sides of it. And if you decide to change that behavior, fantastic. You'll decrease your risk of ever being infected again for the rest of your life. If you choose not to, just understand that if this is what you're doing, sexually speaking or socially speaking or even professionally, uh, that you may be at risk for these particular diseases. Well, it doesn't seem like we have to worry because we see all kinds of ads on TV from pharmaceutical companies, the FDA backing them up, uh, that they're, these drugs, uh, they're going to protect us. Well, that's what they would like you to believe, and many are very effective. Uh, fortunately, we do have access and have gained the educational knowledge uh, in research to genetically engineer and manipulate uh, different types of you know, derivatives and compounds and chemicals and so on and put them into drugs that are directly targeting certain diseases. But understand that with that also comes the possibility of side effects. And what we're finding also is that less and less human research is being done uh, with some of these pharmaceutical drugs, and therefore they don't know what the long-term effects are. And what I've mentioned somewhat controversially in the book is that the pharmaceutical companies and the FDA collaborating with each other sometimes mislead the public in believing that this may be a cure-all or that your symptoms will go away if you take this particular ointment or pill or have this per, uh, particular injection, when in case, in, in just the opposite may be true, you may be exacerbating that illness. There may be serious side effects that you will succumb to that may require hospitalization or a different type of treatment or may even cause death. So you really have to take it upon yourself to really educate yourself on what this drug is, how it's to be used, and whether or not it's going to be effective or not. And accept the fact that all drugs have side effects. 
If you choose to take the unorthodox means of medical care or treatment through naturopathic medicine, uh, unorthodox means of medical care or treatment, as I call it, some people refer to it as black medicine, there's a number of alternative approaches you can take to stay healthy, uh, to get rid of illnesses or symptoms. But in many cases, and especially with viruses, there's no cure. Um, that's why I say there'll never be a cure for HIV. And I know that causes a lot of controversy in that community, but we haven't found a cure for any viral infection to date, including common influenza viruses. So why would we find one for something as sophisticated as HIV? Which, by the way, Steve, a uh, person is infected with HIV every nine seconds somewhere in the world. So the time in which it just took me to explain that to you, someone just became infected with HIV, the virus. The title of the book, Breaking the Chain of Disease, it's a guidebook. Uh, Rich encourages us to be proactive and, and get the tools and knowledge we need to make ourselves safer in this uh, very, uh, I guess, uh, what would you call this environment in which we live? It's dangerous. Yeah, so we're actually invading their world. Mm. <laughs> These microbes have existed for millions of years, and they're just simply adapting to us, uh, they're a visitor in their environment, uh, more so than we are. And uh, there are, again, you can make it as safe as you want or as um, unsafe. It's just a matter of, again, changing your, the way you think and uh, the environments that you're being exposed to and, and changing your normal daily routines. Just be more conscious of what you're doing, and you will lead a disease-free life. The key is just breaking one of those links in that chain of transmission, and I give you those tools and that education in this book. We've been talking to Richard DeRose. Rich, tell us how to get your book, Breaking the Chain of Disease. Uh, Steve, right now the book is available on Amazon.com. You can also find it in Barnes & Noble on iUniverse.com. It's also available in Kindle and Nook form in e-books. And also there are a number of web social websites that I'm linked into, such as Facebook and Twitter, and I do send out weekly blogs that will tie you into these book sites that you can go ahead and then purchase it. And uh, also, when you do purchase a book, I'd love to get your feedback um, from the readers. Uh, just a quick review on what their perception was and how they, they perceived the information and whether it helped them or not. Rich, thanks for being with us on Author Talk. Thank you, Steve, for having me. It was a, it was a pleasure. iUniverse Radio is brought to you by iUniverse, the leading book marketing, editorial services, and supported self-publishing company. iUniverse Radio is produced by TogiNet Radio. Radio with a cutting edge.